Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to cover just quickly a few announcements here before we get into our passage this morning. Our women's retreat is coming up, and normally we have it at Arrowhead Bible Camp, but this year they were booked pretty full, so we are having it here at church. So it's going to be our same women's retreat, but you get to be here. So there's information. We encourage you to sign up, get your neighbors to sign up, your friends, family members, co-workers. So ladies, the women's fall retreat is there. But also we have um, two youth events coming up, and we've got the the fall event that they do at Camp Shamanaw there. I used to, when I was in college, I called it Camp Shammy. When I went to Trinity, it's the free church camp. I was at a free church school, so Camp Shammy, that's where we're going to go. And uh, so that's going on. And there's also an, an apologetics conference for the youth. So I encourage you, if you've got kids, students, youth, sign them up. Also, Pastor Aaron needs greeters for Sunday school time. So if you're able to, if you're here first service, instead of going home, if you're able to be a greeter over there, that would be great. And also a four to five year old Sunday school teacher. Some of you have been sitting in church longer than I've been alive. So you have a lot of information. Use that to bless little children. Amen? Alright. Alright, each week we love to celebrate what the Lord is doing and sometimes it's what is going to happen. We have the Slice of Life, October 9th. It's the fall fundraiser for the Pregnancy Help Center. And we truly enjoy partnering with the Pregnancy Help Center, being a part of that. And on your way out, if you look at the table where you picked up, there's a little box there. If you want to see Pastor Tony get pied, which would be awesome, put money in there. And they're doing pastor against pastor within the city instead of just one person getting pied. So it's going to be a great event. So I encourage you to be a part of that. And also, just we, we live in this unique time period in American history where Roe versus Wade has been set aside. But now it's time, as we have prayed for that moment, now it's time that we open up our hands and do something caring for those who are in need at this time. So I know that the Pregnancy Hump Center is going to have more needs, whether it's financial, whether it's the thousands of diapers that we collected, or even being there to help people, families, as they have just unplanned pregnancies. And we want to see those children grow and be born and, and live a life. Amen? So let's just pray for that ministry right now. Lord, we... Again, we are so grateful for the law that has changed. And still, there's so much going on. Every state is kind of up in arms or just their hands are up in the air. What are we going to do? But God, we thank You that lives are being saved. So Lord, we ask that You would bless the Pregnancy Help Center and the ministry they have there. We pray that You'd give them wisdom as they have people coming now that used to have a different option. But now, there'll be life. So God, we ask that You just bless them. I pray for the Slice of Life fall fundraiser that You would use that to bring funds in so we can care for those who are in desperate need. 
And then in the end, we pray that they would come and see the Savior. So Lord, use us in any way in that area, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen? Amen. I need to be honest. You can already tell I'm a little emotional today. I almost feel like, like even this week I was getting butterflies. I was like, okay, my favorite Sunday's Easter. Then you can, the next to that, maybe it would be a Christmas. But today would be the third favorite Sunday of the year. If, you had to, if I had to do this on a calendar, if I did this every year, this would be it. So I'm excited, but also I'm very emotional because we are just going to deal with part two of what we dealt with last week. So we are in our series, Grab Your Bibles, to the book of Mark. We're not going to dig into Mark chapter 8 yet, but you can get there. We are in our series looking at the Gospel of Mark. And there's many ways you can look at Mark. You can go through the life of Christ. You can, there's, there's a lot of things you can do with Mark. But what we're doing is we're looking at Messiahship and discipleship. And we've titled our series, With Christ in the School of Discipleship. And one of the main questions we're looking at now, we've been looking at Messiahship. A lot of what Christ has done in the first eight chapters is showing that He truly is the Messiah by all that He's done. Now we're looking at discipleship. Who really are His followers? And we've said this the first Sunday we started Mark. Mark makes it clear what a disciple is through calling, through trials, and mission. And we're going to see more of that Last week, if you weren't here, let me just quickly look at what we talked about. We, we looked at probably the most crucial question anyone on the planet could ever ask. Who is Jesus to you? And Peter's great response, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Anointed One, the One that we've been waiting for, was only partially correct. He did not understand the work and the purpose of the Messiah. Jesus truly would be the King. And that's what the disciples wanted. They're like, we want you to be this great, mighty, awesome warrior King to liberate us. But they didn't realize that the King would first be wearing this crown. And it threw them in a loop. Like, what's going on? They didn't see that this King truly would come and bring rule, but not on a fancy gold cross but on a nasty, old, rugged cross. Not with gold, not with all this great fame, but the emblem of suffering and shame. He must, Jesus says, the Son of God must suffer and die. Confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior is the beginning of discipleship. Yes, He first must be King. Now part two. And Jesus, unmistakably, holds and gives bold statements about those who claim to be His disciples. So what we're going to do is we're just going to, I'm going to put up on the screen here a few passages that Jesus says. Listen to this out of Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to His disciples, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. Or Luke 9, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. That's weighty. Then the parallel passage that we are looking at today out of Matthew 10, even though we're in Mark, the parallel is Mark 10, says this, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Anyone who loves a son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So the conditions of discipleship are very, very serious. And these verses on discipleship are the key to Christian experience, Christian living. Living life to the fullest. But for many of us, these words are beyond what we live. Right? Those are serious words. And when we look at our lives, we look at our hearts, we just go, man, I'm not there yet. So here it comes. Please listen to this. If these passages are to be taken serious, there can be few who call themselves disciples, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you two questions right now. And what I want you to do is I want you to pretend that you're in this room alone with you and the Lord. And I want you to raise your hand on answering this question. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you close your eyes so no one's looking. All right, this is just, this is done so that way you're not embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass you here. Also, I don't want you to be prideful. Thinking about the seriousness and the radical call of discipleship. So everyone, just close your eyes. Raise your hand if you can say in the humble confidence of your heart that you truly are convinced that you are a true disciple of Jesus. Just raise your hand. Okay, no one's looking. Put your hands down. Now I'm going to ask you another question. Keep your eyes closed and just think about this. Can you say in the humble confidence of your heart that you are convinced that you are a Christian? Raise your hand. Okay? Put your hands down. You can open your eyes. Look at these two questions. I think we have, can we get those two questions up side by side possibly? It's interesting. I'm not going to hear to embarrass anyone. The first question, I think only at like three or four people rose their hand. But the second question, pretty much everyone in this room, I had my glasses, I wasn't even looking to see who did and who didn't. But look at these questions. Aren't these the same question? And am I asking the same question here? In many ways, I've asked the same question. Or as Walter Schultz would say, Uncle Wally, he would say, Cody, you're being redundant. 
These are the same questions. Whatever label you put on it, a Christian is a disciple. Right? So today, I've got, like I said, I've got little butterflies going. I'm emotional. I'm humble. This is going to be a great journey with us this morning. And some of you right now will be going, oh, I didn't raise my hand for the first one. That's, I'm glad because it's a serious call. But you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. In the end, when we leave, I hope you feel liberated. Not just burdened down by this great passage we're going to look at. So let's pray before we get into it. Because you need it, I need it. We get to talk to our Savior. So let's just pray before we dive into our passage. Lord, oh, we come before You. And I'm so grateful that You are truly the Messiah. You are the One, the Anointed One from before the creation, the foundations of the world was laid out, God the Father had this plan of salvation. And it's in Christ alone. Through faith alone. You're the Messiah. You're the King. But I'm humbled. As we're going to look at this passage here, help me, Lord. Help me be more like You. Help me get rid of the stuff that so easily entangles, that hinders me from just pure, unadulterated worship. God, I love You. You are good. Spirit, do Your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so everyone go to Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 34. We looked at our passage last week where Jesus addresses the concept of Messiahship involving Himself and what He must go through. Peter doesn't get it. The disciples don't. Now Jesus turns to the disciples and addresses what it means for you and I to follow this Messiah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this whole little section And I think it's going to be on the screen. Yep, things are underlined. And then we're going to focus just on some of these verbs here. Looking at what it doesn't mean and then what it does mean. Starting with verse 34, Mark chapter 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit, lose their soul? Or what can anyone gain and give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. I love how Jesus addresses, it's, it's not just He doesn't go, alright, let, all right, let me get the twelve aside. Although there's one of you in here that's not so good. Let me just give this powerful passage to you guys. Let me just unload on you guys because 
No, he gets the crowds. All right, I want everyone to hear this. So let's look at some of these words here this morning. Deny. Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Let me talk about what this does not mean. We are accustomed to denying ourselves many things. If today you want to be health conscious, anybody here want to be health, take care of your bodies and be health conscious? If you just rose your hand, I'm sure then you will deny yourself 13 donuts in the fellowship hall, right? May not be the wisest thing to do if you want to be take care of your body health-wise, but at the end of the day, I go there, if there's 13 donuts, I, I'm the pastor, i got to finish them up, right? I don't do that. Or maybe you resist to ur- the urge to go buy something at the store. Tomorrow's my wife's birthday, so we're going to be busy tomorrow all day, so today we're going to go to Eau Claire. She's going to pick her favorite restaurant. Maybe it's Taco Bell, hopefully, but if not, that's okay. We'll go where she wants to go. But I'm going to go to a store because we got the, you know, the afternoon, and I'm sure if I had a pocket full of cash, so, whoa, look at that nice firearm or whatever, you know? Maybe denying yourself, you feel like, you know, we're accustomed to denying. I'm sure that I will not walk out. I, I almost guarantee you I'm not going to walk out with a firearm today unless they're free, then I'll, I'll take one. Okay. We're, we're used to that. We're used to not buying things. We're used to saying no to things sometimes. Should you spend three hours on social media every day? Probably not. These are good, possibly not to do. Don't eat 13 donuts. Or, when you hear this phrase, deny themselves, this really has nothing to do about the spiritual discipline of strict self-discipline in having avoidance of indulging in different things that can gratify you at certain times for religious reasons. As if being a Christian is a matter of not eating 13 donuts or uh, Christianity is based upon, well, I've denied chocolate for the season of Lent. Or denying ordinary pleasures of life. He doesn't mean that you should give up all concern for your health and your body and your soul. Just deny everything. This is not what Jesus is talking about. Self-denial is the willingness to change your life direction from self-orientation, what it's all about me, submitting it to a passionate pursuit to the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. Self-interest, self-centered interest, stops to be the ruling passion of my life. I want 13 donuts because they looked really, in fact, they're cinnamon rolls, just so you know, second service, they won't have any of them because you're going to eat them all up. They look good. It's focusing on reorientating, refocusing the main ruling passions of my life. It's the denial of self-will, self-seeking, self-promotion that Jesus has in mind. Deny yourself. The disciples were to put their individual, their nationalistic, their religious understandings and selfish plans aside and live for 
Jesus. Deny yourself. You can still have passions, pleasures, and pizza parties. I've got a lot of taste buds in my mouth, and when we go out with my wife, I'm sure she's going to pick place. I'm going to pick something that I'm going to like, enjoy, my taste buds enjoy. It's not giving up everything, but it's this. You must love less all other things and put Christ number one. I deny myself so He is my main focus of all things. In fact, I've got a problem and so do you. It's called idolatry. And I want to live for things for myself that please me, that make me happy. Christ is that number one thing. My problem is I've got a problem with idolatry. Myself. Or my wife. It's not Jesus number one and Amber number two. Because of my problem of idolatry, if Jesus was number one and Amber number two, that might get too close and sometimes Amber's number one. So I've got it in my life where Jesus is number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, then Amber. Sorry, you're number six, babe. There must be no competition. We are to love God supremely over all things. Your love for Jesus should not compete with anything. It should be wholehearted. All other things should look like nothing in comparison to your love for Jesus. Let me say that again. All other things should look like nothing in comparison to your love for Jesus. That doesn't mean I don't love my wife. You bet I do. And Luke does a great job, Luke chapter 6, explaining a lot of people who have other idols in their life. So here's the question. Do you love God more than others? More than self? Deny yourself. Let's look at the next word here. Take. Take up their cross. What this does not mean. Some people use this phrase, oh, this is the cross you got to bear. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe it's kind of an older phrase. Oh, you're going through some suffering. That's the cross you have to bear. This refers to some type of suffering, unpleasant situation possibly, that you have to endure with much difficulty. You might hang out with Amber and I and go to Amber, sorry about Cody, that's the cross you have to bear. Where you have a job, you're like, oh, I don't like my job, but that's the cross I have to bear. I've got this suffering in my life. Cross-bearing is not a Jewish idiom. Nowhere is it used in literature in the first century as an idiom. Oh, that's your suffering. Oh, that's what you've got to bear. You've got to put up with that the rest of your life. You've got to suffer through these hard times. This is not at all what Jesus is talking about. The disciples under the rule of the Roman authority understood the significance of the word cross. Because crucifixion was the main way of executing convicted criminals. The cross. And what would happen was, they didn't carry a cross kind of like what we would see in pictures or something. Put it on my shoulder and carry it across. The beam here is what they would have to carry to the place where this part was already mounted in the ground. And they would walk through the crowds and people would mock them. They were required, required, required to carry the cross beam of the cross from the place of judgment to the place of execution. And this was a dreadful march. 
carrying this beam. No other metaphor could carry such a horrific image. It was a curse to the Jews, it says in Galatians. So the cross, when he says that, he's like, whoa. I'm sure the disciples in the crowd are like, what are you talking about? This is an image of death and execution. I know that some of you, my daughter, has got a nice little beautiful cross on her necklace. It's kind of gold looking, or I don't know if it's gold or whatever it is, but it's a symbol of execution. Again, that's why last week we've changed in the lobby there, in the entrance, the beautiful flowers on the cross to the old rugged cross. A symbol of shame. Even though these words were hard to hear, these, listen, these are great words. I know you might be going, whoa, but listen to this. These are great words. This is truly the path to joy and satisfaction. So here's what I wrote down. This is not about getting rid of your sense of worth. It's gaining our true understanding of our sense of worth, right? This is what we're to live for as we die to self. This means going to the place of death, going to the place where we die to self, and dying with Christ to follow Jesus. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Take up your cross. The cross defines us. We come and share what is His, the cross. My way of living for myself must come to an end and die to myself. I'm to follow Jesus beyond what I want to do. And to follow Jesus is in the path of self-denial. What the convicted criminal did by punishment, we are to do willingly in honor. That criminal would carry that beam in shame, convicted. We do it willingly in honor. Your life comes to an end, and we now live for Jesus. Church history has many writers and great thinkers, and I, I thought of like every section you're quoting different people, and we could be here for hours. Just I encourage you to read church history. There's so much to learn. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, anybody heard of that name before? Handful of you. Lutheran minister during the, during, uh, during the time of World War II. German guy and just got sent to prison. Famous, famous book. The Cost of Discipleship. In fact, I was trying to find my copy of it in my office and Tony's like, I got it too. We couldn't find our copy because we probably gave them away for people to read. Here it is, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. That's what I need to hear today, amen? Taking up your cross is not the troubles in your life. 
That we can save for another time to talk about. Instead, it is the cross of Christ. We must choose to suffer as He did. Join Him in the shame. Join Him in humiliation. Join Him in rejection. And join Him in death. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 And this is something we must do daily because I like to live for myself, right? Alright, let's look at the next one. Follow. What it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you just check a box and go, hey, I want to be a Christian. I check a box and now I'm following the Christian movement and now, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. To have a verbal commitment only. To have half-heartedness. And not counting the cost. Again, Luke chapter 6, Jesus really dives into it there. It does not mean as Peter tried to do, yeah, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, well, I'm going to suffer. And Peter pulls him aside. Uh, let me rebuke you, Jesus, because here's my agenda for what the Messiah should be and how I want you to be my king. Then I will follow you. Jesus sets the pattern we are to follow. It's obeying His Word, acting like Jesus, setting aside your plans, living out the values and being Christ-like in thought and character. To follow Jesus, we must stop following ourselves and hold nothing back from His Lordship. If He truly is King and I'm His loyal subject, I will follow and do what the Master says. And we will talk more about this aspect what it looks like to be a disciple in the next couple chapters. Especially chapter 10 at the end there. Alright, lose. The next word, lose. What it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that I'm not to be Cody. Or be lost. Wandering around like a geocacher looking for something. Then you'll find and save your soul. <clears throat> to save your life, one will do many things to protect and preserve life. How do we save our lives? Well, I'll do a lot of things. Every time I'm in a boat, put my life jacket on, right? Put your life jacket on. Every time I'm hunting, I'm going to wear blaze, unless it's bow season. Gun season, I'm pu I put almost too much blaze orange on so people see me like, Bam! there's a guy there. I want to protect my life and let people know and preserve it but here to save the soul one must lose it by trusting jesus this is kind of bizarre if you try your own effort for the protection the preservation and the promotion of your earthly welfare and trusting in yourself in saving your soul, you will lose eternal life. Whereas one pastor says, Sam Storms, if your preoccupation is not to deny yourself, but to save yourself, your very attempt to save yourself will cause your own self to be destroyed. No exchange of earthly things you can have and do will save your life, save your soul. Nothing can compare. All the money you have is not worth your soul, which jumps to the next word here, 
exchange. Jesus is not just talking about earthly and physical saving of your life, preservation. The disciple must consider the spiritual aspect of it. He's talking about eternal things are at stake right now. So here's a question. How much is a soul worth? Ooh. You know, I honestly thought through this, I thought, how much is a life worth? I think about that once in a while. How much would the government pay to save one life? We do military operations to go rescue some people. I think, is how much would the government say, all right, we spent too much money on that person? Or when Jamie Kloss, when she was gone, I thought, how much would we as a county, we as a state, the FBI, you know, the name, how much would we spend to save her life? A lot, right? It doesn't matter. But there's got to be a cap at it. How much is your soul worth? We each must consider and weigh what is more precious. My soul or all the things I can live for and gain up and earthly things. Is it the wealth and gain from the world? Is it the power and position you may hold? You like the title you have. You like where you are at. You love all that. Everyone likes you. and you think, Oh, I'm great. Your bank account is so full you could quit right now and just live for decades. Is it what the world tries to tell you what's valuable and what you must have to have a meaningful life? We are bombarded by so many things. You need to have this in your life. This will satisfy you. If only you had this, then you'll be happy. Or is it eternal life and the value of your soul that is most precious? What's the most precious thing in my house? My family. Oh, I've got a lot of books there. I've got a lot of things I like. All my hunting gear, whatever, you know, all my stuff. If that burned, I would cry probably for a while. But the most precious things, if my house is on fire, I wouldn't go, ah, could you please get my notes from my biology class from college firefighters? That's what I need most importantly. Get my kids, get my wife. That's most precious. What is the value of your soul? The problem is we have the world cramming down our minds that material things, that your physical wealth and health being, health, well-being is there. All the pleasures of life, that's what you must live for. Or as Rich Mullen says, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the maker or the giver of all good things. Are we selling our souls to the wickedness of this world? If you sell your soul to gain what the world offers you, what will you give to win it back? Honestly, we are all born in sin. We all have lost already. We, we come into this world already with our slate marked up. We're in trouble. But dear Christian, you have a soul that has been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ. Amen? How much is your soul worth? The most precious thing on the planet. The Prince of Peace. The Son of God. His life. 
being a disciple is costly. The cross is painful. It may result in a loss of power, money, fame, reputation that this world says you can't live without. Who cares what they say, right? I want to live for Christ. Still, the cross comes with great eternal rewards. How much is my soul worth not bowing to the world, but gazing on the beauty of the cross and His blood shed for me? Earthly joys and heavenly treasures. That's what you need to weigh up. So here it is. Let me end with this. Come and follow Jesus. And don't be ashamed of Him. Don't be ashamed by taking this rugged cross, this beam. I want to be known as Cody. But more than that, I want to be known as one who loves Jesus. Come and follow Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Don't be ashamed. Carry your cross. And find your true identity. Because the world says your identity is all in this other stuff that just fades where moth and rust can corrupt it. Jesus is offering you your right true identity by saying, I follow you as Savior and I follow you as Master. Discipleship, it's not about getting a crown. It is about taking the cross. Discipleship is not about power and prestige. Instead, sacrifice and rejection Discipleship is not about an audience to be entertained, but servant to advance the kingdom of God. Jesus the Messiah and Jesus the King. He rules. He is Savior. He is Lord. And we must walk this path that He walked. For as Bonhoeffer says, discipleship it's not an offer that a man makes to Christ. We don't go, okay, Lord, I'm... He's already paid the price. He's already offered this to us. And we submit. It's not us going, alright, Lord, what am I going to get out of this? We just submit. Humbly. Broken. So here's what is happening today. Jesus, He's asking for your heart this morning. Oh, but Pastor Cody, I follow Christ my whole life. I'm a Christian. I understand all that stuff. Jesus is asking for your whole heart right now, this morning. That's what Christianity requires. He died for me. I will live for Him. So can you say in the humble confidence of your heart, that you are convinced that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Today, come and die to your old self in destructive ways and live a life.
complete surrender to the cross, to Jesus. Don't delay God's call. Do it now. Don't put off your decision to follow Jesus. Count the cost. For it is a serious call. But it's more valuable than what the world has to give. Get rid of the world and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, You are so good. And Lord, these words, these discipleship words have been an embarrassment to the church. Because we read these words, we say, oh, I believe the words of Jesus, and we follow the Bible. When we look at our own lives, sometimes we just go, wow, I'm so far from that. Simply right now, Lord, we ask, help us. Because we can't do it on our own strength. Help us be more like You. So as we're praying, I just want everyone to keep praying. Just have it quiet. out. There's some of you in here right now, this is between you and God. I'm, I'm not even looking. My glasses are off so everyone's blurry. Some of you have got sinful vices and destructive ways in your life that you need to say, I am done with this. And right now you just need to say, God, forgive me. I repent. I'm totally yours. Help me. And you need to deal with that right now. And it might not just be like, maybe you're not the biggest meth head in the county, but your attitude, your sour heart towards someone is just eating you up. God, forgive me. Maybe there's someone in this room here who is like, yeah, I'm a Christian. and I've kind of just been playing the game or just coming to Sundays. God, I want my true identity in You. I want to follow You completely. Whatever the cost. And right now in your heart, just go, Jesus, I'm totally Yours. Do what You want. Again, in that is true satisfaction. True joy. God, You are supreme. You've been my Savior, but now I need You to be my Lord and Master. Whatever You want, I'm Yours, Lord. Maybe there's some in this room that just need to pray and say, God, forgive me living for myself a little bit too much. Yeah, you're my Lord and King. I keep building up my little empire, my little kingdom. So Jesus, break me. And I'll be sweetly broken before you. Jesus, we come before you. And we thank you. Oh, you are so good. Who, who are we that you would die for us and lord forgive us we have built up our own stuff we have done so many things in our lives that we can say look at how proud you could be of us lord but we consider that rubbish for the sake of christ so that we may gain the beauty of jesus not having a righteousness of my own but a righteousness that, righteousness that comes through faith in christ 
Jesus. Lord, we worship You and we thank You for the cross. Help us today, tomorrow, this month, this year, until our final breath to be more like You. You are King, and we follow You. In Jesus' name. Today's a day of sacrifice. Living sacrifice. You coming to the cross, putting on your stuff. We got three songs we're going to sing to help us focus on that. As we sing these songs, express that to the Lord. Maybe you just want to sit. Maybe you just want to read the end of Mark chapter 8. Or maybe jump ahead to Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 34, 35. Maybe you want to read Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. You say, God, I'm yours. Let's stand and worship the King. Oh, 
the cross I look And to the cross I cling Of its suffering I do drink And of its work I do on it my Savior both bruised and crushed showed that God is love and that God is just that the cross you beckon me you draw me gently my knees and I am lost for words so lost in love I am sweetly broken holy surrender What a priceless gift The undeserved life Have I been given Through Christ crucified You called me out of death And you called me into life I was under your wrath Now through the cross I'm reconciled And at the cross you beckon me Draw me gently to my knees And I am lost for words so Lost in love I am sweetly broken cross you beckon me you draw me gently to my knees and i am lost for words so lost in love i am sweetly broken holy surrender in of the cross i must How wondrous your redeeming love and how great is your faithfulness. In all the cross I must confess. How wondrous your redeeming love and how great is your faithfulness. cross you beckon me you draw me gently to my knees and i am lost for words so lost in love i am sweetly broken holy surrender at the cross you beckon me you draw me gently to my knees and i am Lost for a word. 
victims in the situation and the person that was causing problem and then the authorities so three different people groups of people were there and i remember going okay i'm there to help out but i've got an audience of three people i'm there to help and minister but i was like okay i i got to be mindful praying caring for these people three different types of people they're calling cody but i want him to see this Sure, I'm there, but I want him to see this. In fact, at the beginning of the message, I was going to pull this up and just preach behind this, where you might go, get that out of the way, I can't see Pastor Cody. Good. You don't need to see me. I'm still, God's going to use me, but I want you to see this. The reason I didn't do that first service is because we have someone who watches online who's deaf and they can read my lips. Apparently, I've got a big mouth and I'm easier to read than other pastors. But first service, I'll probably preach behind that. and That might make it, them a little mad or uncomfortable, but I don't care. I want people to see this. Go forth. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is the most liberating aspect of it. Carry the cross. Follow him. That's your true identity. Not the stuff the world tries to give you. I'm his. I'm my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Live so others see Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices as holy sacrifices, as pleasing sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God bless you. Have an awesome week living for